part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 103. Psalms 103 this morning. Anybody guess what two of the hardest days to preach for a pastor are? Father's Day and Mother's Day. You might think that kind of strange, but I I promise you after uh, now doing this for 40 years, the two hardest days to preach for most pastors, myself very much, Mother's Day and Father's Day. And uh, because on one hand, many of us have really, really good memories of that. Uh, Our parents are our heroes and uh, maybe we, you know, we look up, we just want to be like them. We certainly want to be pleasing to them. And uh, there's few that in our life have that role of, uh, you know, just as high as uh, that father figure. Uh, many are able to list their dads as like their hero in life. And you want to be like that person. On the other hand, we realize that we live in a fallen world and that there is no such thing as a perfect father here on earth. That every father, no matter how well-intentioned they might be, uh, uh, we're going to have some shortcomings. And so sometimes when we mention the mere fact that God has used this, um, this uh, significance of this role of father to describe himself in the New Testament, that he's our heavenly father, for some people that's very endearing, for other people it's very painful. In counseling over the last 40 years, it's one of those things that, you know, I've seen people in such deep hurt and sometimes as we begin to talk about different things, I talk about how God is this heavenly father who knows us by name. He, we're his masterpiece. That's scripture. That's not just a, a feel-good song. That's scripture that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And a lot of people will start to disconnect that point. And I can kind of notice that in counseling, that they kind of get a little bit distant. And it's, the reason is because they have a lot of pain associated with that role of either a mother or a father in their life. And so there's also that, that added um, hurt that sometimes comes that there's a lot of people that want to be a father or a mother. And just at, at least at this point in time in their life, they haven't been able to experience that. And so it's really a loaded day, guys. It's a really, really loaded day. And so what is our hope? Uh, my hope this morning, I'll tell you what I will not do this morning. I'm not going to give you a list of five ways to be a better father. Um, number one, that would be quite challenging for us. And that's, that's okay to be challenged that way. Uh, but it doesn't have the hope of the gospel underneath it. All it comes is kind of a chore of something to do. And as much as we need to be instructed to be good moms and be good dads, our hope for that being lived out in our lives is our life with Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 103, written by David. And he uses the, the term in there about fathers, how uh, God is like a father, and he doesn't really, that's not the emphasis of the whole psalm. It's really a psalm, a song in their hymn book about how great God was. And so if you went back to the Israelites and you went back to the Hebrew people and they had this collection of their songs, like we would have a hymnal, this would be one of the songs that they would sing, and they would sing this in a, a way of thanksgiving. This would be something that, like our Thanksgiving in November, that they would sing just out of the appreciation of the overflow of their heart when they would ponder the greatness of God. And so uh, this morning as we look at this psalm, there's going to be certainly that foundation there of David praising God. But I want you to notice why he's praising God. 
It's not just, oh, God's a good guy. He gave me birth. You know, I'm living here and God's kind of protecting me. All those things are true. We're created by God. He does protect us. He does love us. He begins to really focus on the relationship with his Father, his Heavenly Father. He may not call him that. We don't really see that prominent into the New Testament. And then it becomes the dominant reflection of God, that he is our Heavenly Father. But the minute I say that, I realize that some of you did not have that great of a relationship with your father. Some of you perhaps are fathers and you have a lot of regret in your life. There's some years that you would want to go back and say, I, I wish I could do you know, these years over again. This is a really, really emotional kind of topic. And so this morning as we ponder good relationships with dads, terrible relationships with dads, dads that hung the moon, or dads that maybe even abused us in different ways. We come to the focus and we begin to see, okay, what does God want to tell us this morning about himself? Because it's one thing that I've learned is that we all have thoughts of God. And if it was left up to us, we would have, let's say that there's a hundred people in this room, we would have a hundred different gods. Some of them would look very, very similar, but each one of us would have a God of our own making. I mean, we've talked about this before. Well, my God would never. Well, you just kind of in your mind told you what you think about your God. And a lot of that can be 100% accurate and based on biblical truth. But don't you think that if we really want to get the most accurate description of God that we can, that we would go to God himself and see what he has said about himself? Not just our interpretation, our thoughts of what God would or would not do, but what God said that he was. And so this morning, we're, we're going to look at this psalm and the nature and the character of God so that we can know the truth about God and so that we can know the truth about his depth, the depth of his love for us. Again, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And what David is thankful for is who God is. If you get that, you get the heart You get the message that David is trying to convey. Uh, In fact, look at Psalm 103, verse 2. He writes this song kind of to remind himself of all these truths about God. Uh, Psalms 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Would you agree that even if we have a good relationship with God, you love God, you know you're going to heaven one day, you very much count him as your dear Heavenly Father, that in this world that's kind of based right here in terra firma, that it's, all, it's easy to kind of forget some of the benefits of God? That sometimes we can get our eyes so much on what's happening right in front of us that it kind of takes our eyes off of the blessings, these every spiritual blessings that Paul talked about that we have in Christ Jesus and this relationship with God. Well, David is writing this, and he's going to begin to list some of the benefits that he has in his relationship with God. In fact, we find some of those in verses 3 through 5. Look what he says. All one big long sentence who forgives all your iniquity, another word for sin, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
I, I wish we had time this morning to go through each one of those things that David begins to highlight, but we're going to kind of go forward this morning in the sake of time because I want to really get to the heart of the message. And that is that he begins to talk about how God can be pleased with us. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, let me ask you, uh, since we're being a little bit vulnerable this morning, we know this is a heavy topic. Let me ask you probably one of the most penetrating questions uh, of your life. Do you feel like your earthly father is pleased with you? Your earthly father. That's a really tough one, isn't it? And all of a sudden, we just got about four or five different groupings that we could come in because some would say, yes, my dad is my hero. He showed me Christ. He shows Christ-likeness. He does this. Others can say, no, it's the farthest thing from anything that's favorable. The last word that I would ever use to describe that is that he's not pleased at all. It's a really vulnerable question. It's full of emotion. Folks, it's full of weight. Perhaps even full of hurt. But I ask it this morning because David describes a God who can be, we can be pleasing to him. I'll never forget, as I got older and older, I thought that maybe my dad's favor and his pleasing would mean less to me. And what I found out is that it meant more and more and more the older I got. I, I think I've shared with you on one occasion before, um, City of Swanee, we were there in Shadowbrook, and it was my 20th uh, anniversary there at the church. I'd been pastor for 20 years. And uh, please don't hear this in the wrong way, because it's kind of, it's very humbling, it's very embarrassing. But the, the City of Swanee, I mean, the mayor had an, made a proclamation and everything. Uh, it was Bobby Lincoln's day. And... Uh, you know, that was, it was one of those things. I mean, the whole city of Swanee, the, the mayor comes out there, he has one of those, I mean, it's like in a cartoon or something, you know, where he has the script and he says all this. And it was great, you know, but it was an honor really for much more the church had, had made such impact instead of a person. And so I didn't really make a lot of it. I didn't really care all about the, uh, the highlight of that. But I did want one person on earth to know that they did this silly thing and had this Bobby Lincoln's Appreciation Day. And that was my dad. Now, I didn't call up and say, hey, guess what? Your son, they're having a whole day of appreciation. You know, the mayor proclamation, this and the other. No, I talked about something else. Oh, yeah, by the way, let me just tell you what happened last week. Oh, it's so funny. And I came in the side door, but I wanted my dad to somehow know, deep in his heart, that, Dad, I think I turned out at least halfway okay. My, my name's in front of City Hall on the billboard, and it's not in the post office for the ten most wanted. <laughs> I at least got a little bit going in the right direction here, just a little bit. I'll be honest, I didn't care if my mom knew it. I didn't care if my wife and girls I, I wanted my dad to know. Does anybody relate to that? How somewhere in our makeup, in our DNA, 
that God has created us to, to really desire to have not just a good relationship, but to, a respectful relationship and, and the appreciation and the pleasing of a mother and a father. And yet, because we're fallen people in a fallen world, it doesn't always work out that way. In fact, if we said, okay, out of the, the, the five most hurtful relationships in all my life, maybe mom or dad is one of those. So David begins to talk about how, how we can be pleasing to God. How, how is that possible? Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you think David knew something about those qualities of God? Most theologians believe that he wrote this later in his life, not early in his life. And so this would have been after his sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery. He then goes into a plot to kill her husband and essentially murders her husband. So here we have an adulterer and a murderer. Who God has shown great favor, and, and yet David just kind of ruins it all with these sins in his life. And yet he comes to a place where he says, okay, I found God to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How does that happen when you're an adulterer and a murderer? I mean, we, we've done a lot of things, guys. We're not really wide here in, our, in, in the way that we've lived our lives. But I, I don't know that there's a murderer in here. How can David say this? Because he knew it to be true. He found that it's true, not based on his badness, but on God's graciousness and his goodness. If you think, okay, I've heard that verse before. Pastor Robert, where is that verse? Is David the first one to say that? No, we actually find this in Exodus 34, 6. Turn your Bibles to Exodus 34, 6 and see what it says there. To give you the background and the context, this is after Moses has received the Ten Commandments, and then he comes off the... The, this mountain experience with God. He has the Ten Commandments. And he comes down. And what are the people of Israel doing? Man, they have this golden calf. I mean, can you, I mean, can you imagine that? Pastor goes off on vacation. Comes back. And y'all got a golden calf up here. I mean, this is kind of essentially what happened. And so they're worshiping that. And the very time that they should have been drawing close to God and looking at all these faithful qualities of God, they actually make a golden calf and they begin to worship that as an idol. Do you believe that God had a problem with that? Yeah. And yet, here's what he does. God tells Moses to come back up. He says, bring two tablets with you. Come back up the mountain. And and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show myself to you. I even abandon you. And then we see this in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Who's making the proclamation, guys? God is. This is what he's saying about himself. This isn't Moses saying, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for having some mercy and grace. Thank you for allowing me to to be back in your presence. But this is what God says about himself. And what does he say? The Lord, the Lord, 
But God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Does that seem familiar to anything else that we've seen this morning? It's what David said about God. But David didn't say it first. God said this about himself. Why is it important? Because this isn't a hope that we have, guys. This isn't saying, well, maybe, 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 if I just kind of do the right things and live this right way, that God somehow will kind of have this feelings toward me, kind of have this love toward me, that he can be gracious and, and, and all these different qualities. No, God says this to Moses. David says this to God. I know this is the God that you are. God calls Moses to the mountain. He tells him, I am a forgiving God. Now, before you think that, okay, so God just kind of sweeps sin under the rug. He just, you can do whatever you want, and God doesn't have any real kind of moral problem with that. No, God is holy, folks. He has an extreme problem with our sinfulness. Look at Exodus 34, 7. Right after he describes himself as this God who is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, look what he says. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity against sin and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What does that mean? Here's this God who says, I am a forgiving God. I'm a patient God. I'm a loving God. I'm a steadfast God. But I'm holy and I'm just. And for the guilty, not only will you have this payment in your own life, but it's actually going to affect your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Well, that's kind of challenging. So, So what's the difference? He's talking about some good people and some bad people. What's the story? Does God forgive you or does he hold you guilty? Because in two verses we see one God, uh, one thing God's saying about himself is I am a forgiving God. And then the next one, no, I hold you accountable. Is he just confusing? Why is God kind of telling us this? Well, we see that back in Psalm 103. Go to Psalm 103, verse 10 and 11. Does God forgive us? But he said, hold us guilty if we're guilty of sin. The answer is found throughout the Bible, folks. Not just in Psalms 103, not just in Exodus, but from Genesis to Revelation, we have this endearing story. We have this wonderful love story of God that tells us about how even though we have fallen and we have rebelled against him in our own sinful nature, that he is going to make a way for us to be made right with him. To use the words that we were using this morning, that we would be pleasing to him. That's pretty good news to David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. That's pretty good news to to me, and I haven't murdered somebody. The Bible said I would be an adulterer. You've committed adultery. The Bible says if I thought lustful thoughts in my head, that, that I've committed adultery. And I, I confess to you, I've done that before. I don't want to. It's not something I aspire to do. Oh, that's just man. That's just, no. That's just mankind. 
So I'm pretty interested in what David's found out here because I know that I'm not really in this category of, man, just living this clean life where everything just goes right. I'm on this other side, and while I haven't murdered somebody, I sure have my list of sins over here. I don't know what side you would put yourself in. The side over here that's just walking so right, never with any wrong. Or this one that whether it was murder, adultery, or whatever it might be, that you go, no, I, I, Bobby, I'm, I'm over here in this camp with you. Psalms 103, verse 10 and 11. He that is God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Oh. So he doesn't deal with some people according to their sins, even though everybody belongs over here in this group and everybody has sinned. In some form or fashion, everybody has sinned. Whether you murdered somebody or not, we're all in this camp over here, and yet it says that he does not deal with us according to our sins. That's good news. Nor repay us according to our sinfulness, our iniquities. That's good news. For as high as the heavens are above, so great is his steadfast love. Toward what? Toward those who fear him. What does this mean? This is pretty important. Because if this is how we get forgiveness, this is how we get a right standing with a holy God, this is pretty important. Go on, look on verse 12 and 13. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Is that good news? As far as the east is from the west. That he removes our sins from us. But now look at the verse 13. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What is this fear? How do you get in this camp over here that seems to have your sins forgiven if you fear God? What does it mean to fear God? I think what immediately comes to our mind is that somehow God is up there. Some picture from Wizard of the Oz. Or Dorothy and Scarecrow and everybody's kind of walking in. And Oz is back there and flames are going up and all this. And I think sometimes we think, okay, is that the fear of God that he's talking about? And I don't think it is. I think the fear of God here is realizing the truth about God. And out of that truth comes this understanding that he is God. And guess what? We are not. Proverbs would say that that's the beginning of wisdom, to fear God. To fear God, to me, it can have a thousand different kind of avenues there that you could go down. I think to me, to fear God in this context means to acknowledge the truth about ourselves and the truth about God. He is creator and we are the created. He is holy and we are sinful. He is almighty and we are powerless. He is faithful and we have been unfaithful. Not a pretty picture. And when we know these truths, we begin to see that God has an answer. And that was what David was pointing to. And God had but one answer. His answer wasn't just try harder. Have you ever messed up in marriage, in parenting, in a job or whatever? And, and you really did. You felt bad about it. There was this kind of bad feeling, you wanted to do better. And, and so in your mind, in your heart, go, okay, Monday, turn over a new leaf, I'm just going to do better. Is that valuable? 
It is. I mean, it's better than saying, I really don't care. Do you think we can do that with God? We're just, okay, Monday morning, I'm just going to try harder with God. Will less of a sinful life take care of the old sins that we've already committed? Well, that's not good news for David. He's an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, how do you make up for that if you're just going to do it out of human efforts? I mean, what takes away adultery? What takes away a murder? I mean, are you getting that, guys? It's not just turning over a new life. So from now on, no more adultery, no more murder. I mean, that's better than going that path, but it doesn't take care of what's already happened. And in that case, every one of us, every one of us have no hope. So God's way wasn't try harder, do better. God's answer, his only answer, was that he would clothe himself in flesh and he would dwell among us. He would live a perfect life. They would hang him on a cross and then bury him in a tomb. Three days later, he'd rise from the dead. This life of Christ, his son, this perfect sacrifice, that would help an adulterer and a murderer, get this, get this, guys, be pleasing to their God. How are you trying to please God? I mean, most of us are trying to live a moral life or trying to do the right things trying harder and harder. But remember, that wasn't God's answer because we already have this deficiency over here and so that just doesn't cover up the old. So God has but one way and that was that he would clothe himself. He would come. We have Christ, his son. And Christ would make a way. David didn't know all the fullness of that yet and so when he talks about fearing God, that, that certainly would have been uh, perhaps a little bit of what God was going to do, but as all his trust in them was on God's provision. I mean, look back at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. Is that good news? Is that, is that kind of hope for a murderer and an adulterer like David? Is it hope for you and me? where we can say maybe, perhaps, that we haven't murdered, but we certainly have this other long list of our sinfulness and separated from a holy God. And to think that we could have our sins removed from us? As far as the east is from the west? This is extremely good news. And it's God's only way. David's thankful because of God's great mercy and because of his great love, God has made a way for us to be pleasing to him. My dad passed away several years ago. And there's a natural part, I think, of all of us when, when a mother or a father passes away that we begin to say, I remember when I was 13... I remember when I was 15. I remember when I was 21. And you begin to remember a lot of this rebellion and just how 
I mean, dad goes from your hero to a zero in about three or four years there. And every thought is, okay, I'm, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to try harder. I'm gonna, all these bad things that dad was disappointed in me, I'm going to do these good things. Hey, dad, they have like a Bobby Lincoln's Appreciation Day. That's not how it works with God. We can never do enough good to make up for this deficiency, this what we lost when we rebelled in our own sinful nature. But does it leave us without hope? Because God, this merciful, loving, steadfast God says, you can't do it, Bobby, but I made a way. And so, Bobby, what what I have for you is to put your faith and your trust in the way that I've made my son, Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't do it to make up for past failures. Just put your faith in my provision. And when we do that, folks, and we trust in Christ as the one and only way to be forgiven of sins and to be made right with the Holy God, guess what we are? Guess what we are? We're pleasing to God. Well, Bobby, did we just stop sinning? I mean, is that why we're pleasing? No, because our sins are forgiven. One of the greatest verses to to me in the Bible that illustrates this is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Some have called it the great exchange. And I think we get kind of the first part of it. I just don't know that we really absorb the second part of it. For our sake, he, that is Christ, our God, made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, Christ was one hour sent perfect so that we might become the righteousness of God. Made Christ who knew no sin to die in our place for our sin to have that forgiveness. And I think that we kind of grasp that a little bit. I don't, uh, what we kind of don't grasp is that second part, that all of Christ's rightness is now placed in us. Anybody remember in Matthew 3:17, Jesus gets baptized? And what happened right when Jesus was baptized? He comes up out of the water and the clouds come down and there's a voice from heaven. And it's God's voice. And what does he say? This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Is that cool or what? But I know what you're thinking. Well, that's Jesus, man. I'm not Jesus. If we put our faith and trust in his finished work, guess what it says? All of his rightness, righteousness has been imputed to us. That's hard to believe because I sin every day. Do you sin every day? A thought here, a pride there, angry there. I mean, you drive on the highways. You sin every day. Okay, I get it, okay? But in God's view, we can join with David in Psalm 103. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are steadfast in your love. And we have the opportunity to put our faith in Jesus Christ, God's one and only way. So that not only will we get to go to heaven one day, 
but our Heavenly Father will be pleased with us. Does that blow your mind? That God would be pleased with you? When you know what's going on up here. And yet because of Christ, when we put our faith and trust in what Christ did, God's one and only provision, Heavenly Father, as I understand Scripture, is pleased with Bobby. Because the work of Christ is complete. Not Bobby trying harder, not me getting better, not all these different things, but that I can be like David and say, I serve a God who is faithful and steadfast in his love and has provided for me this hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I I would not begin to understand this morning the deep complexities of of why we want to be so pleasing to a a mother and a father. I think as men here today, uh, we feel certainly we want to, to be in the good graces of our mom. And yet, Father, there's something deep within us that we just want to be pleasing to our earthly father. And so we come to Father's Day today and it's a tender place because maybe sometimes we can think back and, and our dad truly was our hero. But then there's other times that, that we disappointed him or, or he disappointed us. And, and all of a sudden we begin to see the complexity of that. Father, how much you've done when you provide it for Christ to be the sacrifice for our sins, to have our sins forgiven, Father. To have not just a a hope of heaven, but Father, to have a right relationship with you and for you to be pleased in us because of Christ Jesus. Father, will you help us to grasp that this morning? Father, I pray for those who have had an estranged uh, relationship with their father. I thank you that in another psalm it says that you are the father to the fatherless. Father, I pray that those that have had those strained relationships, Father, that they can just look upon you. and Father, that you can minister as only you can. But Father, I also pray for the, the earthly fathers here today. We love our kids. And Father, I, I pray today that we would understand that the only hope that we have to truly reflect Him, any Christ-likeness, any godliness of this, of who you are as a Father, is through the hope of, of what Christ has accomplished. So Father, help us to be more than just moral dads. Help us to be more than just good providers. Those are important. Father, help us to be so pleased in you that we reflect the very nature of of this Father to our children. Help us to love them well. Help us to be patient. Help us to be steadfast. All these things. Help us to do this through the very power of your Spirit, Father, and the hope that is Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you as we pray all these things to Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, 
you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.